the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. A lot of what I talk about on this show isn't going to get you into long-term trouble. But it could certainly get you into short-term power trouble. So please consult a broker advisor before taking action on any stocks ever mentioned. One of the stocks I want to talk about, oddly enough, right now is Nike. To me, it feels like a reflation of the economy trade. Only because one area that I need to go to soon would be a gem. California has too much smoke to exercise outside and not enough space in your home to exercise inside. I know you're saying, you can be creative, Rob. Come on, be creative. And I'm like, no, I don't want to. I want to boil it down to the simplest possible ways. And I know California is not the rest of the world, but they are the sixth largest country in the world if you were to separate them from the United States. So I do feel that as California opens up from um, smoke, that it, it should help. Again, this may not be for you. Because Nike's got a lot of moving parts. And, you know, earlier in the show, I was talking about Goldman Sachs getting hit with a, you know, a $3 billion fine on some corruption done in Malaysia. Like, how could I ever have known that? And what the funny thing is, is you cut it, but it's not even that big of a thing to them. Just $3 billion. And you're like, whoa. So I'm going to look for high quality right now, or I'm going to look for things that might open back up. I'm going to get out of the speculation. Um, mentally, uh, maybe if I own shares of Zoom, maybe I'll say, mm, until we get the next pandemic, I'm going to put this one kind of back there or until I see, you know, lasting changes in people's lives. Finding bargains is tough right now. Um, growth stocks beat value by 26 percentage points to the first half of 2020. You'll hear CFPs like Chad Burton get on the air and go, I don't, I just don't understand why value's not working. Value should be working. Come on, go to work, value. Go put on the hard hat and work. There's different types of mutual funds. There's growth mutual funds. There's value mutual funds. A value stock might be a stock that pays a little bit of a dividend, but it's not a big surprise of a company. They've been around for a while. Their product is pretty mature. So that brings me into values underperformed, and we're starting to open back up. I kind of like that combination. I also like companies that tend to have virtual monopolies or real monopolies, um, like, to me, Nike. You can say all you want about Adidas. Adidas. Correctly, I'm pronouncing it as two hard Ds. Adidas. With no S. It's like weird. Those Germans are weird. Um, but I get Nike as a, kind of an old blue chipper, and I'm interested. Now, I haven't looked at Nike during I – I own it, and I haven't even looked at the stock once during the last six months. I'm going to do it for the first time right here. $111. Ooh, that's a little bit high. 
Um, but you go back to the March lows and it hit a low of 67 and it's already bounced back to 111. That's almost double, right? It's up in that, that kind of area. But going into the pandemic, it was at 103. Then it went all the way down, pre-pandemic, all the way down to pandemic 67, all the way back up to 111. So maybe some of that is already starting to be built into it. One of the things that I liked about Nike in the 1990s that I, it's politically not correct for me to say anymore, I have to say it in much better terms, was that Nike said, we're not going to build shoes in America. Americans want too much. They want retirement benefit. They want to take breaks. They said, no, 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 no. We're going to build in Asia. And that's not a surprise because you've seen a lot of that in your life happen. Uh, made in Japan was all over toys in the 1980s, and that became made in Taiwan in the 90s, and made in China in the 2000s. Um, it's typically lower cost labor. And sadly to say it, I used to make a joke, and I was like, those little six-year-old kids, their hands can fit, can fit the, the shoelaces better than Americans. And it was a joke. It's in poor taste, but it was a joke. And now you have to say, well, sometimes Asian countries have some labor issues where they take advantage of women and, and small children. And that's not funny. Is it still a cost-competitive advantage? Sure. Um, is it as bad as Kathy Lee Gifford's getting her clothes made? Probably not. But do app companies like Apple and companies like Nike benefit from manufacturing in Asia? Yeah. Those are countries that want manufacturing. In the United States, we're like, we don't want to work in a factory. Now, I'm not speaking for all Americans when I say that, of course, but you get the idea. We've shifted our manufacturing overseas as part of an tr economic trend. Nike's down 2 bucks a day, $111 stock. PE of 70 this time. I'm like, no, 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 that's too high. But then I want to see what does it look like on next year's earnings. The trailing's at 70, next year's at 49. Now, there's probably been some bumps and some charges in there to bump that up from a historical 15 to 25 PE. So I'm going to start looking at that back data. And as we see sports open back up, that should be good for selling of sneakers, selling of apparel. I saw that Nike's getting into maternity clothes. Now, we all know about athleisure, but maternity clothes? Um, I'll go with it and say, sure, why not? Now, NFL commissioner Roger Goodell was on CNBC two days ago, and he said a lot of the right things. He said, COVID's our number one priority this year, COVID safety. But he's confident the entire season can be played. He said the NFL is not employing a bubble like other leagues. So it's not exactly viable for a five-month season. NFL is tested much more frequently, much more rapidly than other leagues. Uh, he commented on players kneeling during the anthem. He reiterated prior comments the NFL should have listened to player concerns earlier. Um, Colin Kaepernick is going to go down in history, whether you like it or not, as a civil rights hero. And he's going to get into the NFL Hall of Fame on a very short career. Will he ever play in the NFL again? I don't know. Um, and, I'm, again, I'm not making political commentary there. I'm just talking about headline news. The league has said that it's prepared for uncertainty this season and to be supportive of local communities. The players um, in all leagues 
barely in hockey, but definitely in basketball. Um, I don't feel it in baseball as much, but the NFL and basketball, NBA, they're going to take Black Lives Matter seriously for as long as possible. They're going to continue to make statements about it. I think that's a good thing, not a bad thing. Um, anytime someone tells someone to shut up, it's not a good thing. Anytime someone like, you do it my way, not a good thing. Uh, Jerry Jones telling the Dallas Cowboys, you can kneel before the national anthem, but I expect you to stand during the national anthem. And uh, I don't think he can say that anymore. I don't think he can tell people what to do. But that's just me. And again, not getting political there. NFL Sunday tickets could be one of the most attractive media properties this year. I think it's going to do well. Who are some winners from the uh, football opening back up? Disney with ABC and ESPN. Penn National because they do sports betting. Win Resorts because they do sports betting. And a lot of men will go, let's go to Vegas to watch football this weekend. Viacom, they've got football contracts. AT&T, they've got football contracts. Dish Network's football contracts. Want the podcast with music? Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm trying to talk about a company that you know. Part of the whole mystique of the show is I try to make Wall Street understandable for you. I want it to be kind of fun. You can go get on Robin Hood today and buy $10 Nike. And I don't think that's a bad idea. I think that might be a good first step for you because you'll learn a little bit more on how things work. And maybe you'll say, I'm going to pay attention to their quarter. I'm going to pay attention to... Um, you know, one year, two years. How did they? How did Nike do after they got through the Michael Jordan series on ESPN? Did it do better? Did it do worse? So, one analyst I saw during the break, I was looking up some research reports, and again, consult a broker advisor before I ever take any action on any stock. Um, Susquehanna raised Nike to a hundred fifty dollar price target. It's right around one hundred twelve right now. Remember that I said it's got a really high PE, and I'm gonna have to play with it a little bit. They're adjusting P down to 37 on some 2022 estimates. That's a long time out. Their five-year PE average of about 24. They believe the premium valuation that they're assigning is warranted, given Nike's one enhancements and acceleration of its industry-leading digital position. They're doing a really good job of going directly to the consumer to the point that they've dropped some of their retail partners. When you go directly to the consumer, there's no, they get the markup. They could still sell me a pair of Nikes for 160 bucks. And instead of sharing, you know, 60 bucks of that with a retailer or 40 bucks, whatever the markup is, they get it all. The direct consumer revenue growth and penetration is doing nicely. Now, I wear size 14. Am I bragging that I got big feet, big feet, big socks, right? Um, I know my Nikes, and I know that I just got a pair. I wear one pair one day, another pair the other day. I kind of switch off. I know that in six to nine months, I'm going to say I should get another pair. As soon as I start running on the road again, as soon as the air clears up, I'm going to get through my Nikes faster. Um, but also, one of the things that Nike did during the downturn was material cost savings resulting from restructuring and headcount reduction across their workforce as they move towards more of a digital workforce, digital future. So I'm going to write down $150. It's 106 right now, right? Then I'm going to read the Barron's article that came out last week where they call Nike one of their back-to-school plays. I get it. 
When I was in kindergarten, no, I didn't have Nikes. When I was in fourth grade, I almost died because I didn't have Nikes. Um, I was going to school in what were called Bobos. That would be a song that other kids would sing. Bobos cost $1.49. Bobos make your feet feel fine. And it was humiliating. My parents were thrifty. But I always wanted Nikes. And as soon as I could afford Nikes, I've always bought Nikes. And again, is that a status symbol I want to portray in the world? Probably not. But Alice Cooper sang the song, School's Out Forever. And I don't think it's out forever. And when we go back to school, and I, I'm starting to envision maybe January. I'm not a government official, but maybe. Um, maybe we wait. Maybe it's a whole year. I don't know. But Nike will be there, and Target will be there, and Walmart will be there. And that's the whole point of the article that um, Barron's put out on Nike last week. They said large retailers have already taken a bigger slice of the pie during the pandemic. If you take a look at the back-to-school spending on advertising, it was 10 companies. Last year, it was 100 companies that bought ads on ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox. So if you turned on like the Today Show or Good Morning America, you were seeing commercials for Nike, Walmart, Target, and uh, TJ Maxx. TJ Maxx is a funny story, stock to talk about. It's, um, I'm not a big fan of Ross. I'm a big fan of TJ Maxx. And they're kind of similar where they're off the shelf, uh, massive discounts where you go in and you're like, you see a $100 Ralph Lauren sweater for $45. And I go, but then you're like, why didn't it sell for $100? And no one seems to care. So the spouse comes home from shopping at TJ Maxx. She goes, I got you a Ralph Lauren and a Nike. I got you a Nike. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, Nike what? Nike shoes? Nike shirt? What do you get at me, Nike? I got you a Nike. I'm like, okay, good, 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 good. So these are back-to-school winners. And they've done well in the current back-to-school environment, which was kind of a fake back-to-school environment because we didn't really go back to school across the country. Nike's rebounded strongly from its initial pandemic crash. The stock is now at an all-time high recently. It's in the early innings of a massive digital transformation. So says an analyst from Cowan. Newberger uses credit card data and alternative sources to gauge the health of retailers, and they found that Nike's average revenue per user is 40% higher in digital stores than it is digital markets versus physical stores. We're spending 40% more because we're going to Nike.com. When I'm there, I go, I'd like some Nike shoes. I'll take two size 14s. And the exact, I, write, I wear the same brand, almost the same color, not always the same color. Sometimes I'm kind of like sexy and I change that up. But Nike's doing good. And back to TJ Maxx, um, because it's a, it feels like a discount retailer with quality merchandise. I don't know if it's quality merchandise. I don't know that. I'm not a shopper. Um, but my spouse seems to like it. And she just got came home with a, a really cool um, kind of a, a light soccer top that's in the Giants colors. And my kid is stoked. And his teacher said, hey, Z, uh, that's a good-looking jacket you're wearing. And he's beaming from ear to ear. So his mom did him well by getting a perfect uh, style, a good fit, and probably at a good price. Does that make any sense to you where I'm trying to go with this? Uh, the back-to-school angle? My kid's in fourth. And please don't, please don't ever talk to my children. I didn't talk about my children for years because it freaked me out when one, teach, one parent at school and back to school goes, hey, you're that guy on TV. 
you don't know how rude that is to a mother to be recognized and have your kid recognized as that guy. I know you're saying, man, you're taking this way too seriously. Lighten up, Black. Okay, I will. Catch Rob Black and Rob Black and Your Money live on the Bay Area Airwaves. Weekday mornings from 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. And streaming live on the KDOW radio app or KDOW.biz. Amazon, they are such a disruptive company. And disrupting is something you pay a premium for. Um, They opened their first online-only Whole Foods store. When I got to the Bay Area 20-plus years ago, one of the things that I noticed was that Californians, they didn't mind spending a whole paycheck for groceries. They wanted good wine. They wanted good cheese. They wanted to do picnics. Now you can't really do picnics because of the smog, right? Um, But Whole Foods was one of the stores that I got introduced to. Oliver's, um, Molly Stone's. I was like, wow, I'm thrifty. I'm I'm a Safeway guy. Kind of thing. I'm thrifty. I buy toilet paper in 80 roll bulk. Like, I'm going to eventually use it, I assume, right? But to do an online Whole Foods store, it's an interesting venture. Now, again, Amazon's doing a lot. They just got approved for drones. They're talking about, um, they bought a company that does pill packs. As I get older, I don't want to open up a jar of pills every day, a bottle of pill, a jar. I buy my drugs in bulk, too. They come in jars. No, 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 no. Um, Amazon's willing to say, you need a Viagra for Friday. You need Lipitor seven days a week. You need you know blood thinners. We'll, we'll pack them all for you. And we'll send you a nice, cute little thing that says Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And I'm like, ooh, I get to take something sexy for Friday kind of thing, but it's all done. And I I assure you that my mom, who's had two strokes, that's a lifesaver having someone put your drugs in order for you. Um, A lot of people lose their minds when they're 70, 85 years old because they don't know how many pills they took. They forgot if they took them in the morning or not. Putting my mom in an old folks home sucked. She lost her freedom. Ten years before that, she lost her ability to drive. But putting her in an old folks' home was great because they can monitor her blood sugar and they can give her her prescriptions correctly. And she doesn't have to worry about going up and down stairs. But it stunk because it felt and it looks like prison. Old folks' homes, they don't, it's not big, big, they're not big rooms. And um, they're little teeny tiny apartments. Um, it's, it's not ideal. $100,000 a year. You know, I talk about how much you need for retirement. I want you to have somewhere between $1 million and $4 million saved by the time you hit retirement. In the old days, when interest rates were around 3%, you can get 4% rates, and a $1 million would pay you $40,000 a year till the day you die, and you would still have a $1 million. <laughs> Let's say you go into an old folks' home for your last five years. You're going to spend 500000 of that million, not great. That's why I start with a million. And then I go up to four million if you want to do things like travel. If you, because 400,000, a million will pay you 40,000 a year. Four million would pay you what, 160? Social Security is going to be nothing that you can live off of, but you could probably pay for some of your Medicare expenses. I think me and my sugar burger could live for 160,000. Um, right now we're spending way more than that. And I'm embarrassed to say that because I always thought of myself as thrifty. And I'm like, whoa, but that's also a little bit of California mixed in. 
I never thought I would have what I have, but I also never thought I'd have a, a million dollar house that goes up to two million in value, and it's a 1,600 square foot house, which would be worth $300,000 in most other major U.S. cities. Whoa, right? So Amazon, I really like because they're doing a lot of disrupting, and they've started to do healthcare. And you're like, wait, wait, isn't that the company that used to send you CDs and books? Uh huh. They're not afraid to try. And one of the things I like about Jeff Bezos and one of the things I hate is he doesn't return all the profits to shareholders. A lot of it, he says, I'm going to replow all of that into distribution this year. And Wall Street's like, boo! But the next year, they're able to distribute faster and cheaper. We're like, yay! So I like watching Amazon, and again, I think they're truly a disruptive company. Should any man be worth a bazillion dollars? Probably not. Um, but did he disrupt? Yeah. Has he taken chances? Yes. And if you're going to gamble on, you know those super those football polls uh, that come out every year? Um, the football ones that are along the lines of, like, you have to pick a winner in week one, and you're never allowed to pick that team again. So week two, you have to pick a winner, so it's like a death poll. The moment you pick a losing team, you're out. That's kind of what Jeff Bezos has done on some levels. Take away the obvious, that's not quite right, but... He got his fortune not by saying, okay, I'm just going to sit on it. He bought the Washington Post, the Washington Post when no one else would buy newspapers. Has it worked out for him? Not so much. Did it get him into parties at Washington, in Washington, D.C. in front of congressmen? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So maybe some of the, the benefits weren't obvious. Some of them were less than obvious. We got promising early data on Russia's experimental coronavirus vaccine, and now scientists will run a large trial to see if the shot works. Um, everyone shook their heads at Russia. I shook my head at Russia two weeks ago when they announced that they're just going to they're just going to go forward, skip phase one, skip phase two, go straight to, to giving it people. They thought they had enough there. If this pulls us off, are we as a nation going to question our Food and Drug Administration? Trump called U.S. Marines who died during World War I losers and suckers. That's the kind of headline that doesn't sit well in election season. Um, election season can be very dramatic. Headlines like that are going to leak. Books on Melania Trump are going to be published. Books on Barron Trump are going to be published. Books on Donald Trump are going to be published. Not a lot of dirt. Not a lot of books on Biden yet, are there? Um, but it's going to be dramatic. So going to the back half of the year, we see kind of like the job numbers are good, but we also see that there should be some drama. Let's know that it's going to be there, okay? Trump's people have denied the claims. Um, worthy of note, did that shake up the markets? Not so much. Four years ago, Trump shook up the markets when he talked. Now we kind of are in that pandemic play, recovery play, and we're not really paying attention to politics, but shortly after Labor Day, you may see healthcare stocks do very, very well if Biden continues his lead in the poll. You may see defense and Aerosmith stocks do very, very well if Trump is taking leads or cutting the lead. Then you get energy stocks, where the Department of Energy has said, we're going to cut regulations going forward if we get reelected. So that is bad for the environment, yes. But is it good for the energy companies? Sure. 
Um, I And that's about as far as I want to talk about the political season and different ways you can look at it. I would never, ever change my portfolio based on who I thought was going to win. Um, that's not totally true. Maybe I'd tweak it a little bit. Uh, with COVID, I saw some changes in the model portfolio to add some more healthcare stocks. And that makes sense, both during COVID and a little bit after COVID. Um, and they've held up pretty well during market downturns and haven't performed as well during market outperformance, but they look okay. And again, I'm speaking very, very generic terms. Take a look at the markets. The Nasdaq's cut its loss from 500 points down to 340 points down. The Dow is down 525. The S&P 500 down 77. The index that's the winner right now is the Dow. The index that's the loser right now is the Nasdaq. When I say the Dow, I should probably say the Dow Jones Industrial Average 30. Um, I don't know anyone who know, owns the Dow Jones Industrial Average 30. I know some people who own the NASDAQ. I know some people who own the S&P 500. I know some people who own the Russell 2000. The Dow has always been my least favorite index. Um, and I don't know if that's fair. Capital One Financial Winner. Discover Financial Winner. Tell me when you see a trend. It's a down day. Capital One Winner. Discover Winner. Buzz in when you think you have the answer. BlackRock Winner. Uh, Goldman Sachs Winner. JP Morgan Winner. Uh, Bank of America Winner. Synchrony Financial Winner. Financials are doing well. Um, a little bit of that is probably tied towards the 10-year Treasury, as there's optimism that the economy is gaining strength with the jobs report this morning. 10-year Treasury sits at 67 basis points. Historically, that's an awful number. It's too low. You want 10-year to be somewhere near inflation, somewhere between 2 and 4. That's the model for me. When you're at 67 basis points, you're saying things are anemic out there, and we need it low so that we can borrow money and be more speculative. Mm, 67 basis points, still not quite where I need it to be. Now, in the last month, it's been as high as what, 73 basis points, as low as a month ago. We were really depressed at 50 basis points. That's pretty big moves when you're talking about half of 1%. When you're talking about 4% going to 4.5, that's way different than 1.5% going to 1. So we have a lot of stimulus right now. It should start to move towards 2% if things go well, maybe by the end of next year. But I don't know if we can count on that. It's maybe a 20% chance maybe a 40% chance we language, maybe a 10% chance it gets much worse. Um, that's kind of what we're dealing with. Take a look at the overall market. Stocks, tech stocks are extending losses, steep losses. Relatively encouraging employment report. Cyclical stocks are outperforming financials and energy. If the economy opens back up, we'll consume more energy making things and consume more energies traveling. Don't forget, there's another hour of today's show to listen to. Find it now at kdow.biz or on the KDOW radio app. I like to voraciously read books, uh, typically nonfiction, and I like to voraciously read the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Barron's, Good stuff, good stuff. I used to read Barron's on the weekend, cover to cover, in my tub. Like, that was the idea of a good Saturday morning. I know you're saying, that's too much information. And again, please don't get mad at me on either side of this. 
there's a great article about the Kentucky Derby tomorrow. And they're talking about a black owner of a horse in America's biggest race, a man named Greg Harbett, who I know nothing about. You will love this read. It is what I refer to as a long read. It's a predominantly white sport. And people are saying there must be change here. There will be expected uh, protests outside of the Kentucky Derby tomorrow. Kentucky Derby was supposed to happen in spring. It's been pushed to, I guess, September of the fall. Um, I used to like a show called Sports Night, and it was an Aaron Sorkin-written TV show, and that's when I watched TV. And it was basically a fake ESPN without saying ESPN. And they never actually showed the sports. They just talked about sports and lifestyles of anchors and producers and directors and such like that. It was pretty fascinating to show, and I actually own it on Apple TV, which is a little bit embarrassing because when you try to watch it, it's pretty tough to watch 20 years later. But I remember a scene in it where, I think on the first episode, one of the broadcasters calls his ex-wife and says, you got to wake Jason up. you got to wake Jason up. Jason's seven. And, you know, and she's like, why? And she goes, this man's about to break a four-minute mile. He's African-American. Or he's not African-American. He's uh, South African. And, you know, he once had his legs broken. And I'm like, wow. And what they were trying to say is that through sports, we could teach a lot. So I'm going to watch the Kentucky Derby tomorrow. I'm going to show you. Uh, the horse is called Necker Island. He's in the starting gate for the 146 running of the Kentucky Derby. Um, I'm not a big fan of horse racing because I think what happens in horse tracks to the, the lower tier athletes is horrendous. But it is a really visually studying sport. It's kind of like going to an Indianapolis race, a Daytona race. When you see them on TV, it's nothing. When you go there, it's the loudest, craziest, thundering noise that you've ever heard in your life. Same thing with horse races. So his grandfather, Greg Harbett, Tom Bredden owned a horse that ran in the 1962 Derby. His great-grandfather, Will, once graced the cover of the Saturday Evening Post alongside the magnificent athlete he cared for called Man of War. Already, like, we need to make a movie about this. Harbit is the rare black horse owner in a sport that is amongst the whitest in America. And he is hearing pressure from Black Lives Matter. You need to boycott. And I don't know how I feel about that. Um, with the Kentucky Derby taking place at Churchill Downs in Louisville, Kentucky, it's the city in which Breonna Taylor was fatally shot in her apartment in March. He is becoming an odd figure, a polarizing figure of should he do it, should he not do it. And I, I like the idea myself, and this is where you can have conversations with people, and you don't have to get upset about it. I like the idea that if he does it, maybe if he does race, maybe he can make a statement in the race. What if he wins? A black owner in the Kentucky Derby is like a, a unicorn. You don't see it. Uh, back in 1962, his grandfather, who helped take care of Man of War, he wasn't even legally allowed to sit in, in the derby stands. This is a good conversation. Will it, will it solve all of America's problems? No. No, 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 no. But black ownership and horse racing in the New York Times, New York Times, nytimes.com. And if you just Google, uh, what's the title of the article? Pull out of the Kentucky Derby. You probably can get 10 articles for free. It's a long read, and it is an amazing story. And again, sport sometimes changes our lives because it gives us a distraction, but also we see things that we've never seen before. One day in America, USA is going to win a World Cup, I think in my lifetime. Um, maybe not. <laughs> maybe not. But 
I can't wait for that to be a story. And that has nothing to do with black athletes or white athletes. Just, you know, America's just not a soccer nation. I grew up soccer. I grew up overseas. So to me, I, I get the passion of the sport. But uh, Greg Harbett said, my grandfather bred the horse and owned part of him. At the time, his role is what is one of the most prestigious races in the world has not acknowledged. This is part of his family's legacy. Um, when you go back to the history of black jockeys or African-American jockeys, I don't know what I'm supposed to say. Uh, the inaugural running of the Kentucky Derby in 1875, um, there was a horse named Aristides, and he was trained by Ansel Williamson, who was a, born into slavery. Did, am I not kidding you? This family has crazy history that very few families will ever have the um, insight into. So anyway, I just wanted to end with this because I know a lot of people are very polarized by what's happening in America right now. And I like seeing the positives that come out of stories like this. And I hope there's a positive that comes out of the story like this. Um, so again, we're pulling, I'm pulling for, and he's a long shot. Don't put any money on it. Necker Island. And if you get a chance, it's a good way to talk to your kids about the Kentucky Derby. Um, New York Times, pull out Kentucky Derby, Greg Harbutt, H-A-R-B-U-T. Um, distractions. I like the idea of our economy opening back up with distractions. My spouse likes to throw Kentucky Derby parties. Um, she, she's got down on it in the years. We're not going to do it this year for sure, but she would rent a 100-inch TV as a way of getting neighbors together. I kind of like that. Anyhow, we're opening back up. The jobs numbers today were fantastic. Um, I don't think there's a great stock story other than a company like DocuSign's really underperforming, and we're seeing that transition from stocks that were outperforming to underperforming, and we're moving that money elsewhere into sector rotation ideas. Anyhow, thanks for the great week. I really appreciate it. Um, I'll be back Tuesday.